You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Welcome to Quantum Leap Book Club. During the next hour, beloved mind scientist Parisha and her guests from around the world will read and discuss various best-selling books with well-known authors. Every show will apply retention techniques designed to help you to absorb powerful knowledge to effectively change your life. Join us every week for a thought-provoking hour and re-listen as often as you can. You will be delighted by what you learn and you will be excited by the results. Are you ready to take the quantum leap? Here's Parisha. Welcome to Quantum Leap Book Club. Our host, Parisha, is out teaching today and will not be with us. However, we have our co-host. We have all the way from Denver, Colorado. Oh, not today. We don't have Trina today, but we do have Joyce Molinar, a doctor of naturopathy and registered nurse from Kingman, Arizona. We also have Maria Jarkis, who's from Miami and a psychologist there. And we have myself, Geraldine Dalby-Ball, usually from Sydney, Australia, currently from a country area inland of Port Macquarie. And we're in the most intriguing book of matter into feeling. And I'd like to start the section that's about dreams and that everything dreams and about dreaming things into matter. And here we're given, again, a little... Uh, tester for our mind as we ponder the concept that even matter dreams now how does professor fred allen wolf set this concept up that anything anything that's physical is able to dream so he starts with talking about the ordinary evolution that we've heard about the common one in the west being darwin darwin's theory of evolution that as something has a whole recipe of genes it's based on their struggle. So as something struggles and struggles, it will either survive really well through reproduction or not. And through this concept, as chapter two starts of matter into feeling, we get posed with the question that everything has this drive. He, as he said, you may call it the sex drive, the reproduction drive. People feel it. He says even the snakes in the, the grass feel it. And why would everything feel it? Where does this ultimate creation feeling come from? Is it from our cells that within our body have this drive to create? Is it as a human, for the sake of humanity, there's a drive to create the human species going and does that occur then for every species? Is it on another scale than that? Is it? that there's a creating force within what we're calling the universe or the known world. Indeed, is that creating force? And are we then the offspring of it? As he shares, the offspring of us is a creative force, whether it's our own flesh and blood through children or the offspring being the creation of a thought, an idea. So with that, there's the idea of dreaming. And we started with that concept of Darwin, Darwin saying that things struggle and as they struggle, there are some that survive and they pass their genes on. If something they do survives and it makes their young survive better, there's some other genes that are not held by a different one, then that young will survive well. 
if that young survives better than other young because it's got particular genes, then those genes will also survive. But that interesting question of, well, where did those genes for survival, those genes for creation come from? You know, are they there in all of them? Why would they be in some more than others? And this takes us back to some of the other types of questions that were posed by biologists at the time, which included Lamarck saying, well, we have a massive recipe book of information, a massive recipe book of genes. So really, it's which ones are we activating or not? And then how do we as creative beings activate parts that are going to be not only making us more successful in life, but our offspring more successful in life. And again, let's look at that word offspring in a broad sense, not only our flesh and blood as children, but how do we make the success of the offspring of our thoughts a creative process? So we're looking at moving a thought through dreaming into the matter. And beautifully, Professor Fred Allen Wolf quotes the Australian Aboriginal people as well. And his interpretation of the dreaming and saying that there's a sequence like a fish dreams itself as a reptile a reptile dreams itself as a bird so in our own self what is our next dreaming and indeed by dreaming that next version of ourself we can be activating genes that are then the ones that are most suited for the next stage of ourself and this is where we're looking at that movement of aleph or spirit into bayat form and the breath back and forth between spirit and form. And as that is a big burst into our matter into feeling, I'd love to hear from Joyce Mollenhauer in Kingman, Arizona. No, it's Maria. Maria, wonderful. Yeah. Well, he takes us, and you know, one of the things that I love about Fred Allen Wolf is th this man has got to be a very, very deep, deep man and author. I mean, he, I, you know, one of the things that I really love about this book, and some of, and, and I've read some of his other books, is he just, I mean, it's very deep material, and I hope I do him justice in, in reviewing the section that I'm going to be covering. But he really takes concepts of quantum physics and just the whole composition of like, what is reality? What is the world? Or, you know, just these very deep questions and just takes us. I feel um, I always feel like I'm in a journey, like in this capsule going somewhere. So in this section that I'm covering, he starts to ask, you know, this section is titled What's More Fundamental? And in this section, he starts to go into a very deep explanation of how the universes are created. And he begins to talk of the reality of the vacuum of space. And I, and I know that this is a very, you know, space can um, be a very difficult subject and, and complex. And I think it has very many different layers that I am sure he's going to take us through throughout this book. But he says that empty space can explode into matter and energy. I mean, you have to kind of stop and think for a moment about that concept of space, you know. And if you've never have, then, then it's kind of a hard uh, concept to grasp. 
but just think about it for a moment. And what he starts, what he tells us is that the vacuum is of space is capable of creation and annihilation at the same time. So where we have the process of objects appearing and disappearing rapidly everywhere all the time. And quantum physics, you know, tells us this in the, and we see this in the observer effect. The minute that you observe something, you collapse that reality into that observable event and everything else doesn't exist. So this is happening all the time and nothing is ever repeated exactly the same way, even if it seems that way. And we see this we see this story of annihilation and creation uh, depicted of physics depicted in the spiritual stories. And he goes into an explanation of the story, the spiritual story of the dance of Shiva, which I just thought was very, very beautiful. Where Shiva and Shakti dance the dance of creation and annihilation and Shiva is the creator or destroyer. And sometimes Shiva is presented as Shakti, the feminine, or sometimes as Kali, the one who destroys in order for recreation to occur. This is also seen, so he weaves in even more uh, spiritual context by even starting to go into the Kabbalah, where the story states that spirit which was symbolized by the letter Aleph, which Geraldine just referenced to just now, which is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, was capable of producing a vibrational movement, which was in resistance to itself. And it was called water or Mem, which is another of the Hebrew letter alphabets. And it's the number 13 in the Hebrew alphabet. Then he says that spirit was able to breathe life into the water and back into spirit. This double flowing movement, he says, is very similar to the annihilation and creation process, as well as the life and death cycles that we all go through. Now, what do these stories all have to do with us and what we're talking about here? So let's bring this kind of back down to where... What is this having to do with us? Well, he tells us that this double flow process of kind of creating and destroying life and death can also symbolize the dance of awareness and consciousness. And even more, the, you know, even more than that is the movement of the quantum waves of possibility from a present event to a future event and back again to the present event. So he's taking all these ancient stories and what I find very interesting in all of this of how he manages to bring in all of these texts is how the ancients and in the ancient texts, they understood this and we're starting to realize now with all the information that is coming from quantum physics that this is exactly what we're capable of doing, you know, in terms of creating possibilities, you know. So then he goes into then the question then becomes, well, what is consciousness? And he goes on to describe that the process is of consciousness 
is where an environment and an observer of that environment are defined simultaneously. So the we that we create, that we create then a split between subject and object and between out there and in here. And then consciousness enables us to identify ourselves as separate entities from the outside world. But we tend to get lost in all of the different mundane types of things. And then he, this is where then he begins to weave in that it's in the dreams or the dream time that he tells us that we learn to become more aware and to begin to be able to separate the out there and in here. And what I love how he ended this section is that he, he made the statement that the dream is the laboratory of self-creation. I, I, I just found that a very powerful statement of what the possibilities of our dream time and, and where he's taking us as we go on to the next sections of what the dreams and how many of the ancients utilize the dream time as, as Geraldine was referring to the Aboriginal people, uh, especially the, of Australia, that he was referring to how they have used the dream time. So he takes us, he starts to take us more into this aspect of the dream time. And then from here, I'll leave it to Joyce to go on to explain to us a little bit more of this wonderful journey that we're on. Hello, happy to be here. So I, if you haven't uh, discovered it already, this is a complex subject. And he, he even admits, the author, Dr. Wolf, that the older interpretation, even though it didn't lead us to really good conclusions, was much simpler that this is very complex. And, and what Geraldine has shared and what Maria has shared is quite different from what I'm gonna share. So you're gonna be kind of surprised that in 12 pages, which is how long this chapter is, all these different ideas have been put forward. So um, the, the, the title of the section that I'm working with is called One Mind and the Whole Universe. And when I read that, I immediately thought of Nassim Harriman because he has done some fabulous explanations about the unify, unification of the universe that we exist in. So I recommend that anyone that wants to try and get an, a, a real good base on it, look him up. So this particular section starts talking about the paranormal. And the paranormal is what is beyond scope of normal, and I've put normal in quotation marks, because what we've always thought was normal really isn't very normal and of scientific understanding. And I think it's really um, almost, um, well, it is. It, it's mind expanding to recognize that this word paranormal, at least in my opinion, is something that is actually going to be closer to normal as we develop a greater understanding. Right now, it's considered beyond normal to talk about the paranormal. Now, this chapter or this section of the chapter talks a lot about the implicate order. And we've just completed the book, The Holographic Universe. And there was a lot in there describing implicate and explicate orders. 
So the infinite order in the universe is a very deep fundamental order of reality and not that easy to describe. Space and time are basically non-existent in the implicate order. It represents unity and oneness, back to the title, one mind and the whole universe. In different research studies that have been done that are all interesting, are done to demonstrate the communication happens between people living in total different parts of our planet and how they don't, they, they confirm after the fact sometimes that they were thinking about each other at exactly the same time, or they pick up the telephone and call each other. And they absolutely have connected by thought, even though they're that far apart. So that, that definitely leads us into some interesting. Now, this uh, short section also talks more about the imaginal realm. And we've already talked about Geraldine and Maria about the dream world. Well, the imaginal realm is between the real and fantasy. And that's, that's how we look at it at the moment. But more and more, as we study a, a lot of these authors and we study with Grandmother Parashaw, we're recognizing that the imaginal realm is actually more real than what we consider reality. So that's another whole area to explore. The, the Aboriginal culture we've already spoken of and folklore. And I kind of chuckled when I saw the word folklore because it's another topic that Grandmother Parisha has helped many of us expand our limited thoughts on because mythology and folklore has actually got facts all through it. It isn't just some sort of made up stories, but we've, over time, human beings have considered it too far out of their understanding. So then they label it mythology or they label it folklore. So I think it's time that we looked at that a little more closely too. So where do we draw the, the line with all of this? He finishes a section with when we realize that both worlds exist. So that's the so-called imaginal and that's the so-called real world. Or confirm or come from the deeper, more fundamental void. And again, the void is something that we've been exploring extensively. What is the void? There's more in the void than there is and what we think is empty. We are able to tap creativity and engage in creative lives. And I find myself asking these two questions, concluding this section. Are we as a human race content to continue living with a limited, narrow perspective of being separated from each other? Or are we open to explore the massive world of the imaginal and being part of one mind in the whole universe? And I have some other thoughts that I'll share a little bit later, but that's my part for the moment. Absolutely, Joyce. What a wonderful question to ask for each of us to ask. You know, what level of awareness are we comfortable with? And it takes us to part of the very first part of the chapter, which is giving us those Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew alphabet and the letter. And we note that this is chapter two. And chapter two, uh, whether you look at numerology or all sorts of things, is part of creation coming together. But in particular, what this one was talking about was it being the vessel, the vessel which separates then 
that which is inside the vessel to that which is not inside the vessel. <laughs> so in this way, as you're saying, how, how comfortable are we in making ourselves something separate? Are we just what's in the vessel? Yet when you think of a vessel, it still has a top, you know, whether it be a cup or a bowl or a vase or there's a top. So it's not a finite, you're in the box and the box is shut. There's that constant connection with the, the space or the no-thingness that's around us. So this chapter, chapter two, creation, the vessel, moving from the vessel to that, really answering that question of when a dreaming, when does it go from a dreaming or an idea into a physicality? And that's a kalaf. And I'm more than happy to be corrected on my pronunciation. I did look um, at, at a few YouTube videos that described how to pronounce the different letters. However, I'm always open to information there. And on that point too, seeing it is mentioning the Australian Aboriginal people, I note too that many people don't call themselves Aboriginal because ab means not and original is original. So it's sort of saying they're not original. And for the, the people I know, they call themselves the first peoples. And here there was quite a bit in this chapter saying the first creation has a particular a particularness about it. It's a creation. The firstborn, they said, is often mentioned in um, whether it be, as you're mentioning, Joyce, stories, myths, creation. So what is this firstborn or first creation? And does that have anything to do with the vessel, number two, the creation? And so, uh, Maria or Joyce, have you got more that you'd like to add to about this one? Yeah, I'll add to that because one of the points that that also stood out for me is, you know, I, he's he's so metaphorical, and that's what I love about it too. Is he also used the metaphor of, you know, he's talking a lot about throughout this whole chapter about giving birth, and you know, he used the analogy of giving birth to our offspring, and that obviously. Um, it is survival of the species and that we're, you know, we are propelled to do that uh, in order to have the species survive. And, you know, it kind of took me to the moment when I gave uh, birth to my son and that whole experience of giving birth to something, you know, how, you know, when when you have the opportunity to be a mother and give birth, there's just this awe of of. of of life when that child is placed in your hands and you know you you realize this child was in my womb for nine months you know and it was just developing but he takes it further in in exploring how you know and if we if we take it to a very practical level you know on a day-to-day -day basis we're always giving birth to ideas and thoughts you know, or I mean, just think of, you know, maybe even giving birth to a project, how giving birth to a project is very much like giving birth to a child. I mean, you know, when I had my son, I, I had a, you know, it's not that I had a dream, but you dream about, you know, he's talking, he's weaving in here, this whole concept of the dream time. Well, you, you dream of having a child. And so those of you that may not have had the experience of having children, 
think of a project or something that you know you dreamt about you 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 went into the imaginal and had an idea of something that you wanted to happen or create and then what tends to happen with that is you know the process of the planning you know the putting together the step by step that kind of becomes the gestational process i saw it as you know that whole the whole process of putting together the project and then you have the giving birth of of that project finally coming to fruition and all that comes with it usually you know a lot you know even in giving birth there's labor pain so we go through the pain uh, to have the the labor pains to have the child just as i'm sure that people who have done major projects you know have experiences of going through major stress and having that project come to fruition but in the end you have the joy and the you know the the satisfaction that this project came to completion so in and, and that's kind of like that life and death process that he's talking about, you know, metaphorically throughout this whole process. I mean, this whole chapter that he's been bringing into. So just, you know, rather than getting caught up in the concepts, we can apply it to just, you know, the kinds of thoughts that we give birth to on a day to day basis. That's such a good analogy to be able to bring this to the birthing of, of thoughts as well. And also, as you said, when there's birthing, whether it be a baby or whether it be anything, there's that old phrase of, oh, they've got it in the palm of their hand. And indeed, as we move through this chapter from number two, the Bayat to Kahaf, number 20, that's what they're saying. We're actually moving from the idea of a seed, which is Bayat, whether that be the, the fertilized egg whether it be the idea that you have, and that then moves from that seed. And the seed is then separate. And as you're saying about being a mother, you have inside you one of its own beingness. And as Grandmother Parisha mentions, our own unique fingerprint, you know, that, that can be seen as a separate yet part of. And so in this one, it's saying Bayard is seed-like. It is separate. It's a beginning. And then within that, though, there's the creative vision where something becomes literal and literal means it becomes an actual thing. So perhaps is that process of becoming so literal that you can hold it. And they said in Hebrew that the word perhaps actually means in the palm of your hand. So you can see it as a physical beingness. So the chapter is really taking us from the dreaming, as you mentioned, a project, a child, the dreaming to physicality of something in your hand and uh, Joyce I know you're definitely got some input here sure uh, that that whole area is really interesting to interpret in whatever direction that you were standing in uh, there was an example in the short part that I was preparing for today about a fish tank and there were two television uh, cameras one was directed at one end of the of the swimming the fish pool and the other at the other end. So one camera picked up the fish going from right to left in the in the pool. And the other camera picked up the, the fish turning and going back in the opposite direction. So when the study was was discussed after they had taken all of these photographs, 
the wine photographer definitely had a great sense that somehow this one fish that he was thinking was two fish were actually communicating, were actually connected to each other. So I kind of pondered over, okay, what does this tell me as a human being about these two fish? And they're not two fish, they're one fish. What what kinds of perspectives do we allow for ourselves that are limited? And and because those two photographers did not have any idea whether there was one fish or two fish, they were concluding from what their the camera picked up. So the the big camera of the universe, when it's following us around, what's it picking up? And like when we start to try and analyze that a little bit, one of the stories that comes to me is the the, one, the comparison that Grandmother Parisha often uses is about the elephant. And you can be standing around an elephant and never have had seen an elephant before. So you might say, well, there's a leg or there's a trunk or there's ears or there's whatever. Just p parts of the elephant that isn't telling you that this this is part of a whole. So I think it's a great example. And this fish story is the same idea. What is actually going on here? Am I willing to allow my mind to look beyond what I think I'm seeing? And I think that's a lot of the message that is in this particular chapter of 12 pages by Dr. Wolf. Yeah, and if I could expand on a little bit, because that took me to a place, Joyce, because that that whole experiment of the fish I thought was really interesting too. Okay, and and where that takes me to to just kind of piggyback and add to what you're saying is that how I question myself then is, you know, how am I like that fish in that fish tank, you know? that means so how am i in the universe okay and there's much more happening even even in terms of he brings the concepts of space and time you know and how how we're much more in terms of how time is not you know i kind of see time as that the experiment of the fish you know we're trained sort of like the diff, like the photographer you're you're trained to see time as very linear you know you know the past the present the future and and therefore and also the clock and when you begin to look at it as it's all one you start to see that you know we can exist in different times times it's not just how the fish how the photographer was seeing the fish and showing the fish there's much more that is being presented to us um and 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 question and and brings up the questions is how how are we in in relation to to us being this little minute little thing but the universe is much bigger than us and the universe, as grandmother has, Parisha has always told us, is in us. We are not in the universe. The universe is in us. These are some of the questions that take us kind of like beyond the fish in the tank, you know, and I'm the fish in the water and that's all that exists. 
And Maria, as you were saying that, even before you said the the part about you know basically the scales, am I this? Am I the universe? Am I the small? I was picturing again fractals. So if if you haven't seen fractals, um, I highly recommend anyone just look them up on the internet, see them as this uh, repeat pattern, and then if you if you feel like it, ponder on that concept that when you look at a particular pattern. You can go right deep diving inside that pattern and it repeats and it repeats and it repeats. And same, you then get back to the point you're at and then allow it to go bigger and bigger and bigger. And the pattern repeats and repeats and repeats. And then allow yourself to be at any point along that. Your physical body can be a point. Now we dive into the body, into the cells. The pattern repeats and repeats. We may go into a particular piece of DNA and the pattern repeats and repeats. And likewise, if we go out into the, the planets and the spiral of the planets, we find the pattern repeats and right out into the galaxies and the pattern repeats. And so with this concept of creation that we're talking about right now and the, the oneness, it, it allows us to say, well, at any particular scale, I can see myself, for example, as one body or I can go smaller and I can see myself as billions of cells or I can go to a larger scale and I can see myself as many, many living beings, whether it's just humanity, you want to think of a whole lot of cells that are on the body of the creator or the body of the earth. And then you may look at the being part of those galaxies, for example. Within that, whatever perspective we choose, we can see a oneness. And like you were talking about the fish, I'd like a quick sharing of one of the, um, to acknowledge one of their first peoples in Australia when her name is Andy Fran Bodkin, and she shared a story about perspectives. And she had a cup, a normal cup. It had a, a, a logo or an emblem on one side and it had a handle on the other. And she held that cup up and Uh, myself and others were in a circle around the cup and she said okay standing where you are with just your head looking straight ahead each person can say what they see and of course some people were front onto the cup they could see the emblem and the handle on the right hand side other people were looking right at the handle and saying well there's this thing protruding from the cup but there's no writing or emblem some people were looking at what we'd call the back of the cup and they said definitely no emblem and the handle is on the left hand side And then the person who, of course, is at the other end of the cup says, no handle, no writing. And it was a reminder that as one one entity of all the people standing there, everyone's perspectives are what created the whole. So we had a unification of uh, the diversity was acknowledged as, okay, well, this is what it is. This is the multiple viewpoints. This is what the cup is. It is on the left-hand side, the right-hand side. It does have a logo. It doesn't have a logo. It doesn't have a handle at all. It's a perspective. And I found through reading this, as we create, how much can we expand ourselves that we allow those multiple perspectives that's more than just this body? And I know, um, Joyce, yeah. Yes, I love to carry on with that perspective because... (laughs) It's just so much fun when you let your brain not just read the words, but figure out, is there any sense here? How does this relate to what I used to believe? 
what does this relate? In my 82 years, I've lived through a lot of different trends for sure. What does that relate to this moment? So the, the balloon example they give in here in this book is really fun because we in, want things to be inner and we want them to be outer. And, and there is some, some truth to that. We experience things outer and we experience things inner. So the, he refers to the balloon full of air and there's a membrane of the, of the balloon that's supposedly separating the outer and the inner air. So you break the balloon and all of a sudden it's all, all air, it's all connected. So I just thought it was such a neat example because really the membrane of what we allow to restrict our thinking isn't any bigger than that. If we just are willing to look and see, well, if I took this separation that I am believing, if I took it away, what would, what would be left? And the unity would be there for sure. Absolutely. How do we pop our own balloons? <laughs> and without well, one, I know Maria has yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just add to that because when you start to think about that, um, you know, because I've, I've, I've had to ask myself all those questions is like, once if we begin to see ourselves as not separate from anything for that matter, not just, you know, we're not separate from each other because we're all part of you know, that one. I mean, you start to think of, you know, and he's saying, you know, he's he's talking about the dream time here and the imaginal. And 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 I think that that's kind of like, you know, embedded in, in this material where he's challenging us to dream that what the possibilities can be once we get to that point that we realize, you know, whether it's the elephant story or, you know, the, the one that you um, gave, um, you know, because they're all kind of we're all looking at the same thing. It's just it depends on which angle you're looking at, you know, that it's all we're all looking at the same elephant or you're all looking we're all looking at the same cup. But I begin to think even broader and think of like, you know, the kinds of things that we can begin to create as a global community, you know, in terms of a world where we can begin to just envision that we're not separate at all. We're all part of the water in the fishbowl type of thing. You know, what can we begin to dream about of what kind of world we want to create? What kind of world are we birthing? You know what I mean? He's using the metaphor here of um, birth and death. And, you know, Grandmother Parisha has spoken a lot about these times that we're living in, how we are at a point in our evolution as human beings that are, and even our consciousness, where we're birthing or, or should a new world. You know, and and how and and the responsibility or, or or position that we each take in creating that dream. These are kind of the deeper questions that you know this book and has taken well has always taken me into. But some of the deep ponderings that go on with reading this. I think a deep a deep pondering is a, a great term because it also 
allows in there the acknowledgement of feeling because we're not just thinking it. Thinking it can stay quite analytical, but if we're pondering, there's a feeling there because sometimes we don't have words for it. And this whole book title of Feeling Into Matter, you're seeing that this chapter really is giving us so much of the book title. When we feel something, and he starts with talking about the sexual urge, which is why we're talking about bringing children in the procreation. He talks about the sexual urge, like it's a feeling. You know, whether he said whether someone, someone might feel it all the time, someone might not feel it very often at all, but there's a fundamental part of being alive that is a creative element. And for many, that's reproduction. And, and then he goes on to say that the, the offspring may be an idea, a thought, a project, or your own flesh and blood. And I just want to emphasize the, the feeling. And for many, it could be asking ourselves a question of how often do I laugh in a day? If you're doing statistics, how often have I smiled in a day? How often has my internal chemistry, my feeling, been in alignment with something that I would want to create as an offspring? So this, as I said, the book title, Feeling Into Matter, if it's the feeling first and through that feeling, as you said, we could be pondering how could the world be a world without borders? There's a feeling. I smile before I have words for that. I see people coming together. I see food. I see, you know, I, I feel things almost before I have words for it. So feeling into matter, a beautiful pondering of a world without borders, beyond borders, not even without, just beyond. Uh, and uh, Joyce. Yes, another piece that kind of goes along with what we've talked about to some degree already is to understand and accept that wherever we're positioning in this on this globe we do have the ability to simultaneously know what's going on somewhere else if we're willing to open ourselves to focus on that and to focus specifically like if you are in prayer and really want to reach out to something a situation that you have no awareness of by just asking the question, where can I direct my prayers? We have the ability with that intent to pick up some specifics that then we can make a difference. So th that's the bottom line. We can make a difference because we are connected, even though there's huge distances between us. And then the other thing that just boggles my mind that we discussed in the holographic universe and in other books is we can actually have some effect on what has already happened. So one's mind definitely, when, it, when we allow ourselves to expand, like it gives me shivers to think I can take some of the suffering away of the generations before in my lineage by having a focus on all good things for them. And having a detailed, I, I'm fortunate because I've been able to read some pretty detailed diaries of some of my ancestors. So I have some specifics that I know they experienced. So I can focus and, and make some changes that it didn't have to be such a struggle. So, so that's maybe beyond a lot of people's thoughts at the moment. But I want to introduce that because there really is such a lot for us to expand our minds to. And Maria, did you want to add to that as well? Well, 
I, I was going to add to what you were at, what you were saying in terms of the feelings and, and, you know, the book is matter into feelings and, you know, he, while he hasn't quite gone into the in-depth as far as feelings, he's kind of laying the groundwork for it, but we've been reading with other books and a lot of what grandmother Parisha has been teaching that in that creating the feelings are like you were saying, extremely important and not just any feeling, but an elevated feeling, you know, like you really in, in the imaginal or, 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 or creating that uh, thought or that whatever outcome you want, how the feeling is extremely important and, and how it has to resonate in the body at a high level. So an, at an elevated level, in order for the message to for the signal, you know, and, and in other books that we have read, they, they call it the electromagnetic signature to go out into the universe. So it's based on feelings, thought, intention, plus elevated emotion equals the outcome. Totally, and, and that relates to the chapter that we're looking at here too, or creation, when we see ourselves as the vessel. It talks about number two, it talks about the vessel. The vessel is that which separates what's inside it from what's outside it. But as we've said, it doesn't completely separate it. But if we can see ourselves as the vessel, if we're that vessel, and as, as Joyce mentioned as well, like the like the balloon, if we are, if we are the balloon, if we're the internal of it, what is it that we birth? Because if this is a vessel for birthing, what is it that we birth into the universe? And that gives us a responsibility. And as, as um, Grandmother Parisha has said, look at that word in its pieces, respond with ability. And I know there's times if there's lots of things on and I might have felt things are getting a bit heavy, and if there's a, a desire to blame, you know, because that could push some of that effort feeling off onto somebody else to bring back that word, respond with ability. And even if I could somehow justify, really, that it wasn't mine or this wasn't mine or if they did this or that. But if I just say, I don't even need to answer that. I'm not saying I caused it all, which in a way, you know, you could go back far enough. You can say if you're experiencing it, you caused it. You, sometimes you don't even need to. You can just say, am I willing to respond with ability to whatever this is? And if you're willing to respond with ability, you can be an ultimate creator because then you can switch to what we're reading in this chapter. How do I dream it differently? And the dreaming brings the idea of sleep, the idea of the void, the idea of no thing. So it means we don't have to take it from its current broken state and like stick an arm back on or if the house was too small, patch a room on. We can really dream it, which means we can go to the no thing. We can go to the emptiness. We can go back to there. Close our eyes for a moment and dream and say, what could it look like? Ask the question and allow that to come forward. And that's what I see in this chapter. It's we are the vessel that asks the question. What could this look like? And allow the dreaming to present something which isn't just a patch up of reality. So we no need, no, not so much focusing on the problems of the world, but on 
as you said, on the dreaming. How can it look? And we can be the vessel. That's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. And I just, you know, I, I just wanted to reiterate what you said, because that was a life changing uh, thing for me when Grandmother Parisha gave the, the redefinition of responsibility like that to respond with ability. I know that that was really life changing in my life because, you know, it was always oh responsibility. It's such a heavy thing. But once I started to reframe it and because in my work as a psychologist, I started using that in my practice with patients and to observe the difference once you reframe it like that just puts it in just a whole different perspective for people. I mean, it did in my life, but it's really for me, it's really wonderful to, to see the kind of like shocking look on their face like, oh, wow, I never thought about it like that, you know, so it's really amazing to see the difference once you take something and just switch it around like that. Yeah, it really, it really is. And, and I know Joyce has got some to add to this as well. Well, I, I just would like, because we're getting close to the end, I'd, I'd like to leave people with one of the two questions that I already posed. Are we open to explore the massive world of the imaginal and experience being part of one mind in the whole universe, which was the title of the area that I was discussing and sharing today. That's a wonderful question to pose, really is. Particularly at this time when it is what we have in, in the Western calendar as an idea that we're having a conclusion of, of one year, a calendar year, and the beginning of another. We've had beautiful uh, natural occurrences being the solstice, closely followed by a new moon. And when we ask ourselves these questions, we don't need to wait for the 31st of December. <laughs> we can ask it at any time, but particularly when we have these questions around new moon and full moon as well, it's quite, quite a special thing. So that could even be something people remember. Yes. Thank you, Joyce and Maria. Well, just to take it and leave with one, you know, on that note is, you know, we've always been told by Grandmother Parisha each day, you, you don't have to wait till the end of the year, you know, each day as we wake up, it's a brand new day, it's a rebirth, you know, the, it's the death and rebirth cycle. So every day is, is, is a brand new birth. Every day is a brand new birth. And that also is, again, if we, if we move towards our conclusion with looking at what that, um, the letters, the Hebrew letters for today's chapter were, I'll read that part, the second part. So when you've got the book, have a look at the beginning of each introduction. And we did talk about Bayat representing the container, any physical form that is the, the primary or the very first separator. So as we're saying, it could be, the separation of us as an individual from the universe as a concept. Um, and then Bayat, which is that container, transforms into Kalaf whenever an idea turns into something organically tangible. As Bayat, it remains seed-like, only a beginning of a form, a separation of one thing from another. But as Kayef, the creative vision becomes something literal, something we can hold in our hands or reach out and touch. Kayef in Hebrew means palm of the hand. So 
within that, as you're saying, the pondering, the pondering can actually take us to tangible things. So when we have that dream, the dream allows us to have the seed through the dreaming and the feeling. It moves it to something in the palm of our hand. Mm. So as this beautiful time of an end of a year, may we see what we can dream into the palm of our hand, particularly through our conversations because more people come together at the moment, through our wishes for people, through how we nod and smile because it's lovely that this time people are generally more open to being sociable. And we definitely invite you to join us next week again as we move more through this fantastic book of Matter Into Feeling. And remember as you look around, if something in the matter, something out there, is causing a feeling in you that you're not so keen on that you can actually say what is that matter and you can change the feeling so this chapter in this book is also letting us know the matter becomes feeling if our external world creates an internal feeling we can say "Mm -hmm, i notice that i'm aware of that i'm going to do a change so i'll just invite um, joyce and maria is there any final words you'd like to say before we do a conclusion of today's call no, that was absolutely a beautiful ending, Geraldine. Thank you. And I would just like to encourage people again not to feel like this is too complex. It is worth digging your way through. And perhaps you already have a background and it's going to make total sense. So it's worth going through this book, Matter into Feeling by Fred Allen Wolf. Absolutely. And I, I give appreciation to uh, both of you today and of course, always to Grandmother Parisha for bringing us the many perspectives, particularly through the books and the discussion. And it's time now that we conclude our studies. We appreciate you as well, the listeners, for sharing your time with us. You matter and you count. So know that you make a difference. We look forward to being with you next week as we move more to greater consciousness. Have a powerful week and let your light shine. All good things. OCO. Thank you for listening to Quantum Leap Book Club. For more information where you can contact us, go to LOARadioNetwork.com forward slash quantum hyphen leap. Have a great week.